So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Here's a question for you. What's the question? If you do what you love, Mm -hmm. then every day should be really easy, right? Oh, that's a very hard question. Um, No. I think to do what you love requires a lot of hard work. It's not easy, otherwise everyone would be doing that because everyone likes to take the easy route and most people aren't happy in what they're doing at work and that will be down to the hard work of being happy. Yeah, it's it's a, a misconception that I think perhaps we have a bit of a responsibility to to help people understand that yes, we're saying that you should do something that lights you on fire. And yes, we are, you should do something that like brings you happiness, that brings joy, that brings joy and happiness to other people. Yeah. Um, but don't expect it to be easy. The two, the two don't like, don't marry up. There's, no, yeah. there's, I think, I think that in the struggle is where you can find so much beauty as well is because I was, well, like I said, we were speaking at an event last night and I was telling someone about the the history of our company, like where we came from and not making any money really for the first five years of our mm-hmm. business. And I'm so glad of that. And yeah. it's so such an integral part of our story. I'm so like happy that we that we had that experience, those mm. experiences together. I was, I was literally, I was telling them about how um, the number of times you and me have slept in the same bed together because yeah, we, yeah. we couldn't afford to get another room. Yeah. Like top top tailing in like random travel lodges yeah. up and down Awful the country. Places, yeah. yeah, with, with um, suitcases full of paint. Yeah. And like now we don't have to do that, but... I'm so glad that we did it because every like everything was part of the journey and I we wouldn't feel any sort of sense of reward if someone had just gifted us a company and said, yeah. Oh, here you go. Well I'm like going on the first job where people got separate rooms and being like, Holy fuck, this is amazing. Like to just be like, I don't have to like spoon up with him. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it was just felt like we'd really progressed and it really makes you appreciate where you've come and you can be like really proud of yourself, I think, if you've come from somewhere that was a massive struggle and then you've got to where it is now like you can look back and be like i did this for myself like no one gave this to me no one funded this like we made this from nothing into what it is today yeah so i think everyone who's listening like you a lot of you guys are loving what you're doing but you're kind of getting um confused and bogged down and upset when uh things aren't going to plan and that is part of the process and learn to love it learn to love all of the the crappy stuff that happens like getting ripped off and having to take people to small claims court because they haven't they haven't paid you in in months um waiting like one of the things that always gets me is like especially when you're really small and you're just starting out is like 30 day 60 day or 90 day payment terms and it's always the big companies that do it to you if you're working with other freelancers they know the struggle so they'll pay you really quickly Um, it's like like with us like when we employ a freelancer like we always pay them really quickly but if you work for like some of the biggest brands in the world 90 day payment policy and then even then after 90 days you just have to start chasing them because they're not on it um 
Yeah, I think like, it's a kind of balance, isn't it? It's like you can either be somewhere that you don't enjoy all of the time or you can do something that you love the process of it. You love what you're doing every day. Some of it's going to be hard, but it's enjoying that bit that is hard. And like some bits you won't enjoy because doing your accounts isn't fun, but it's just got to be done. And doing that allows you to do the good things and it makes the good things feel even better. I think it all comes down to that, doesn't it? It's having that balance of doing things that like are a bit shit makes you appreciate the things that are really good. 100%. And through doing that, you will grow. You will grow so much and you will become, you'll become tough. Like that's what yeah. happens. So if you've been running as a person, not just like in business terms. Yeah. I think if you've, anyone that we meet that's, that's run a business for like three, four or five years, they have just this, this strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is character building and it's those sleepless nights. It's those, if you're going through it now and you're six months in or you're a year in and you're, and like, the sleepless nights, they do come to an end when like, as soon as you get good, they, they come to an end. Yeah. Um, like you may be really good at your craft, but you've got to get good at the business side. But as over time, things will start to, to come together. Um, but just enjoy that all of these struggles, they are, they are shaping you and they're making you yeah. who you're going to become. And they're really exciting. They make for great stories and great memories as well. Like looking back, like some of like my fondest memories are like, part of the shittest times yeah. it's really funny how it kind of works like that well I, I listened to um i think it was a joe rogan podcast a few years ago uh where they were talking about there's there's two types of experience and there's the the roller coaster which is like so fun and mm-hmm. you go on it and like everything's heightened and all your senses and the adrenaline and you're rushing through the air and it's incredible and you get off and you go oh that was absolutely amazing yeah and then you're camping in the rain and he i think he was um describing like a hunt so he's hunting a uh, elk or whatever and you're you're out there for days like no food like you're starving you're freezing you're like crawling through the underbrush or whatever and he's like that that struggle the roller coaster you won't really ever talk about again Mm -hmm. you'll maybe take a photo of it but like that that'll be it whereas the struggle that will become one of your best memories. And, yeah. and the people that you that are involved in your struggle too, like you build this bond. It's like you and me have this bond and Yona, like we have this bond that bonds us together because of what we've been through, mm-hmm. because of all of the ups and the downs and the shit time and then the absolute elation when things go right and then the utter like chaos when things start to turn to shit. Mm-hmm. And like we've been through that, so it kind of links us together. Um, and like you remember the struggles, you grow from the struggles and, and they become like a beautiful story that you absolutely are so proud of and you're happy to to tell. But the roller coaster is just like, it's like the lottery win. I was reading something the other day, literally about the amount of depression that comes with the lottery yeah. wins um, because people just don't feel like they've earned it. I imagine it's a bit like a high of like, you've got your adrenaline rush, you're having the happiness, but then that's got to come down at some point with kind of like being down in depression. So that, yeah, completely makes sense. I think as well, going back to what you were talking about earlier and how most of the people we've talked to who are like at least three years into their business and now don't have so many sleepless nights and are a lot better, that comes down to the patience of in those first three years, having like having the grit and determination to keep pushing through it because it will get better. Like if you're in a stage now where you're still starting out, you're in the first few years of business and it feels shit, like it's never going to end, it will end because you'll keep getting better. You'll keep getting more confident and that just makes so much difference. Like going into something with confidence changes the game. Like if you can walk into a meeting with complete confidence, like when we first started, we were going into meetings and we were like, 
we're going to have to flag some of this. Like, where was no real confidence. Like, we were like, these companies are much bigger than us. But then I go into a meeting now, I'm just like, this is going to be amazing. I know when we're sat in front of the boardroom at Adidas, that like we believe in what we do like we know we can deliver yeah. whatever it is like mm-hmm. whatever their creative brief that they put in front of us we know we can absolutely smash it but that comes with nine years of experience yeah. of people giving us a chance in the early days of having to prove that we could smash it yeah and having to build up to that stage and not smashing it all the time yeah but now going in there and being like we know we can do any of this because we've done it before probably yeah. and if it's something we haven't done before we've probably done a variation of it so we know we can smash it yeah, it's taken so much time, but we've built up this strength and determination that drives us. That segues perfectly because this week's guest is Esme. This was one of my favourite episodes I think we've recorded. Like, whilst sat there in the room, like, I was just like, this is gold, gold, gold. Like, this, this will be one of the best things you listen to this month, this year. Like, it is amazing. Yeah, definitely one of my favourite episodes. And when we started this podcast, we went into it with an open mind of we know that we can learn from absolutely anyone. And uh, I mean, Esme's like significantly younger than both of us, but I think we both learned a shit ton during Mm -hmm. this. Absolutely. Yeah. Incredibly inspiring young woman. And uh, yeah, just a pleasure to be around. What, What an absolute legend. Esme at 18 years old was told by doctors that she would never walk again. She was paralyzed from the waist Mm. down Um, after just like a routine procedure not only has she learned to walk again, um, but she's developed incredible grit, determination, mental toughness. And she's done that by continually challenging herself yeah. and putting herself into tough situations. She's now a personal trainer, a presenter, a public speaker, and dare we say it, an influencer. <laughs> um, but she's actually trying to influence people for good. She has such pure reasons and intentions, which I think will come through in this episode. Definitely. This episode, we talk about developing grit, the SAS, and minding your own business. If you actually just mind your own business, you're actually well all right, your life is sweet. It's only the minute that we start going, what are they thinking? What are they doing? Are they doing that to do this? Are they doing this? Did they only go there because they want me to feel The minute you start doing that, you've got the unhappiest life. It's like, stay in your head, you're dead. Hi, Esme. Hello. Thanks for doing our podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've heard you say this thing that I think is really cool. It's um, today is not a chore, it's a gift. Mm. What do you mean by that? Where do you hear it? Um, I don't know. I do my research and then like I just, I write down all of the little nuggets that I find from people. And that was one of yours. It probably would be like in an interview or like an online publication where you... I'm glad you've uh, found that. It's, it's quite interesting, actually. I ended up, I said that in, um, where that actually came from was standing in front of my bedroom mirror one uh, morning. I got up out of bed. You know, like those days where you just don't want to get up. Yeah. Like, but like you actually, it sounds awful, but you actually wish something would happen to you so you don't have to go and do your day. Yeah. Like, it's really awful. You wish you were ill or something. Yeah. And it is awful. You know, like those days where you're like, oh, just like run over my foot, just break a little toe. Like, <laughs> yeah. Deal with like little toe going. Like, I'm, I'm, I even remember doing it like when I was younger. It like stems from like your whole life. Like if you haven't done your homework and you think, oh, mum, just crash on the way to school. Like so I don't have to go in. Cause I'm not and it's horrible, isn't it, that you do it. But I had one of these mornings where things were just going a bit wrong in my life, I suppose. And I just woke up and I was going to teach um, 
fitness classes and it was like 6.30 in the morning, 7.30, 8.30. I was about to see about 120 people that morning. Yeah. I just remember like waking up and thinking, I can't, I just can't get out of yeah. bed. I can't go. It was like five in the morning. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to call in sick because that's not my style, but I'm not going to go and fake it either because that's not my style. So it's like, well, you've got to do something. <laughs> yeah. so I literally thought I've got an hour and a half to do something. And I just remember getting up and I just, the words just came into my head. I don't even know where it came from. It was honestly, you know, when you hear these people say someone spoke to them and I always go, oh, whatever, shut up. Like, you know, like, yeah, God spoke yeah. to me. I'm like, yeah, cool. That's not true. But like, <laughs> almost that happened to me. These words just came to my head. It was only me like saying it and it was like today is not a chore it's a gift and I was like god like it's it's not a chore that I've got to go in to work and see these people it's actually a gift like I'm not in a very good place and I get to go and spend an hour at a time with 40 people motivating them inspiring them they're listening to what I've got to say I've trained I'm qualified people want to hear what I've got to say based on you know the profession that I've chose it's a gift like plus I'm going to make money that they then pay my rent meaning I can actually sleep in this bed that I don't want to get out of <laughs> and it all just suddenly like happened and I actually chose to walk into work um, rather than just like get you know get on the train and fall asleep or whatever and kept repeating it in my head today's not sure it's a gift today's not sure it's a gift and the more I repeated it and the more I started looking at what I was about to do that morning and pulling out the things that I'd usually go and turning them into a gift it completely just changed my perspective and again it stopped me going in and just faking it. I actually went in and meant it, which was the best feeling. Yeah. How did you feel after that class? Yeah, like I've, I probably, to be honest, I don't remember, I probably did feel a bit drained after it because, you know, like with anything, when you have to like bring a lot of energy afterwards, you have a big come down from it. But I suppose if I had a come down from it, I wouldn't have felt rubbish about it. It weren't like I went and put on a front. It was more like, God, like quite elated, I suppose. Like, yeah, oh, God, yeah. I feel knackered from doing that. But I'm so glad I did it. So yeah, yeah I like the way that you you interrupted your day as well. So by by walking where you'd normally get the tube, mm. I think when you're in those those processes of you're doing the same thing that you do every day, that that can make things a chore. Yeah, break mm. the habit a little bit. Yeah, and that's what it is as well. Is like like you said, like breaking the habit. Like I would have probably dragged myself out of bed, sat on the train, just felt miserable the whole way there. Did what I just said, where you go, I'll go on train crash or this. Yeah. Just I'll take a little toe. Like, <laughs> but it's bad, like how that is the natural thing that we would do is like we'd I've basically switched it the opposite way around I instead of going in complaining about what I was going to go and do yeah. I tried to look at the positive of what I was about to go and do it's so hard to do isn't it we get into habit loops of of the way that we react to things mm. and to actually flip something into a positive I've been trying to do it recently with um I say how is this the best thing that ever happened and sometimes it's fucking hard to work out how this is the best thing that yeah. happened because you're like well this is actually shit and so uh, me and Yonah have been doing it so like when we're walking home or something we'll we'll sort of say oh, so if something bad's happened we'll be like oh how is that the best thing that's ever happened that's cool. yeah. and like it's hard because sometimes there's really so little but it, the things that you can get out of it will be like okay well we learned from it and mm. um, we know how to avoid it happening again um or or like um it's opened a new opportunity by this door closing it's me it's meant that we're going to work really hard to get this opportunity or whatever it is yeah. so um but just being able to flip that of it's so easy to just get stuck in doom and gloom isn't it of of i suppose it's and it's a brain thing isn't it it's a brain chemistry thing of of you get in the habit of how you react to something that's always your way that you do it and your body yeah. gets used to it it's really nice that you've got a way to 
like almost reset your brain. So I suppose like if you actually force yourself to do that for so many days in a row, it will start to become a habit. So mm. instead of looking things in a negative way in the future, you'll then start to have positive ways to think about it. So you look at something and you won't have to force yourself to think that. Yeah. It'll just be the way that your brain actually starts to like calculate it. Yes, I think so. And then you start to look at everything positively. And I mean, I'm still on a journey with that, but I think you'll probably agree that over the last couple of years, I've, I used to be a more positive person. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I used to be quite a negative Nancy. (laughs) Yeah. I think like it's like you said, it is a habit change, but one of the things for me is I don't like the sort of like when people look at positive and they're like, Oh, be positive, be positive. Cause sometimes you can't be positive about something. And sometimes actually I think being positive about a situation is hiding from it. Yeah. It can go like mm. a bit the wrong way Delusion, where, yeah. Yeah. where you just go, Oh, my house is burned down, but I'm going to be positive. Actually what it's about is being positive to me is about sitting in the problem for a bit, feeling it, feeling like the depth of it, actually like, you know, go into probably a bit of a horrible place with it but then getting yourself out of it by being positive. Mm. Whereas a lot of the time positivity is mistaken and it's just like, be positive, cover it up yeah. yeah, and don't feel it. And this is where you can get people that end up having like breakdowns that the positive people where they're always, always happy, smiling, smiling. And then suddenly they just break down. Like I can't do yeah. it anymore. It's yeah. like, because you, you can't sustain that. It's not sustainable to yeah. always look on the bright side. Like one of my favorite quotes that someone said to me is, um, you can let it ruin your lunch, but don't let it ruin your dinner. That's and great. I was like, that's, that's so great. good yeah. because you go to lunch and you talk about it and you get annoyed about it and you cry about it. But then by dinner, you've come up with a solution and you're moving forward from it. And I think that's the best way of being positive is sit in it, feel it, be pissed off about it, feel upset about it, curse, cry, scream, but then move on from it. As long as you don't stay in it, that's when you've got the problem. If you stay in it, as long there's as you're moving forward. There's a guy called Tom Bilyeu who, who um, has an 80-20 rule and he's like, always spend like 80% of your time in the light and 20% of your time in the darkness. He was like, because the darkness is really powerful and it can propel you and you can use it as fuel, as momentum to carry on going. And I suppose those people who are masking that 20% and doing 100% and then they do have that breakdown. Yeah. Then when everyone sees it, they're like, really, her? Because that that's not the, yeah. the person that they expected to have it's that breakdown. It's not real. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not, like I said, it's not sustainable. You can't live your life like that. You need, like you said, 80% and 20%. Yeah, I feel like you get a lot of comedians like that, don't you, who Mm. are massively depressive because, yeah, they have to put up this funny front the whole time and then they're, like, living an act. And I think that's the same with anything. It's like if you start to, like, as a social media persona or anything and you start to be someone else for so long, like, you just need to kind of be yourself and listen to yourself of, like, how you should be rather than think, well, what does the outside world want from me? Mm -hmm. And then force yourself into that constantly. Otherwise, yeah, you will just have a... You'll snap and have a breakdown. And it is just too easy to mask it. it. It's been... Like you said, social media, we've been given tools that have made it even easier to fake how you feel and who you are and people are addicted to them because especially something like Instagram it's just too easy to pretend to your Instagram followers that you're really happy and you know living the best life and because it's so accessible to be able to do that you take one photo write one quote get x amount of comments it's almost like a drug 
it's almost like that Instagram post of faking it and people giving you a good reaction about your life's so amazing, you're doing so yeah. many amazing things, you're this. It's like a drug. You go, oh, I like this. I like this feeling. Why would I go back to my shitty life where I feel rubbish and it's not good? I'll just keep faking it because I get a better reaction from yeah, it. Yeah. But then at the end of it, you're going to break down because you're just hiding away from the truth. Yeah, so do you want people to actually like you for you or do you yeah. want them to like this fake persona of you? Like... And you can't keep up with that. No. You can't. One day someone will see through it or, you know, you'll just crack and that's it. It's done. Like you will come crashing down. Obviously Instagram with hiding the likes and stuff are maybe trying to... Although I read an interesting article the other day about how hiding the likes has nothing to do with Instagram's mental health and at the end of the day it will all be to sell you more stuff. (laughs) So maybe it's not for people's mental health. But um, I guess it's something that we need to keep an eye on because we all do put forward our best our best front um and that's that's sensible in a way and I, everyone has gone through stuff and again it comes back to it comes back to the how how you deal with what's with what's happened to you i mean if we take you for an example i mean you're paralyzed from the waist down at age 18 and that could have destroyed you i mean that mm. could that could have put you into a really really dark place that you never were able to climb out of again mm. And it, and it took you a long time to climb out of that. that yeah, I space, think like it? physically, it was like a lot quicker than it was mentally. And I think that's the biggest thing about it is actually when I look at it, I couldn't walk and then I could. Like if you just, do you know what I mean? If you look at it yeah. really factually, yeah. in physical terms, I couldn't walk and then I could. And that was it. But the mental side effects of it were a lot stronger for me and a lot longer lasting. It went yeah, on for I mean, for you've years. said you're still in recovery now. Yeah, like there's. It, it changes you, things like that change you, and which is fine because, you know, it, it happens and it changes you and you learn and you adapt and things like that. But, like, my confidence at, when it first happened was knocked so, so badly. And actually, it's not even that being paralysed affects me now. It's probably the years that I had a confidence knock, what happened in those years and how I reacted to that, that then led on to I didn't grow maybe in that area, that then led on to I didn't let go of that person or that thing that happened. It's actually just an accumulative effect and... Being paralysed does not bother me now. It doesn't. It, that, that was 10 years ago, and I've covered a lot more things since then that have probably hurt me as much or if not more, but in a different way. What it is, is, like I just said, the accumulative effect of being paralysed. So that then led on to me losing my confidence, that then led on to me maybe not getting a job in what I wanted to do, that then led on to me maybe entering relationships with people that I shouldn't have, that then led on to me wanting to save the world because I'd been in a place that, you know, was sad and hurts and then I wouldn't save people that then led on to maybe I didn't save someone one day and then I resented myself for it. And it's unbelievable how one small trigger like that can shape you, but it's not actually that that, you know, made me who I am today. It was the accumulative of it. So take us back to when it actually happened. You just went in for kind of a a routine um, Yeah, just went in for a hernia repair. Um, in my groin so that's I don't know if you know what it is but it's when your intestine like pops through the muscle wall and it was such a simple operation it was a day operation so I actually went in on my own because my mum and dad had actually just split up like three days before and it was a lot going on and I was like to my granddad just drop me off I'll go get down mum's picking me up after it's all good and then I had a reaction to something the anaesthetic the anti-sickness drug which caused seizure in and that's what caused the paralysis from waist down and you were a dancer yeah is that what you wanted to be? Yeah, and it's all I knew and it's all I saw 
and I was actually quite fortunate like I was I was quite academic in school but didn't, mm-hmm. I was like that dickhead that didn't have to try and they still did well <laughs> enough do you know what I mean like I could still like pull an A out like just by going into the exam because I'd listened a bit and then revised the night before and it was, it was annoying because you know I was that annoying person but I just wanted to dance I didn't care and I put all my eggs in one basket with that I was an idiot in school, like didn't try, got kicked out of class a lot, didn't care because I'm a dancer, I'm good at dancing, I'm going to be a dancer. And it was six weeks before I went to dance college that this happened. And, I mean, it probably happened for a reason. Like, to be like, stop being a dickhead. <laughs> stop me being a dickhead. So, thank God. <laughs> so, yeah. And how did your how did your recovery come about in in terms of uh, mental? Was there anything that you were doing? Did I mean did the doctors say like, oh, you're never going to walk again or anything like that? Or was there? Yeah, always- they just like I remember the doctor just standing at the end of a bed, and it was just the way he said it. And I look back now, and I think I actually don't blame him because I think he did not know what to say. Yeah. And I literally I was a bit like drugged up anyway, or something was going off. Like I, my head was because when I first came round, I was a bit loopy, like couldn't yeah. really speak properly, things like that. It was a lot. It was a lot of medication going on, and I remember saying to him at some stage, and it was after I'd sort of come around, and it was just being paralysed face down. So I said. I need to get better because I start dance college in six weeks. And he went, dance college, you're never, go- you're never going to walk again. And I was like, wow. but I remember him standing at the end of my bed, but I was just like, huh? And I think now he might have been like, I was 18 at the time. He might have been a young guy who just saw this girl going, you know, and I was being a bit yeah. like sassy, like yeah. I need to walk. So I've got dance college in six weeks. Like, and he was like, dance, you're never going to walk again. And I was like, what? And it, it, to be honest, when it happened, I was just, it just didn't feel, I, I can't even tell you how it felt because it didn't even feel anything. Yeah. I can't must, even tell you. It must not have felt real because you can't no, comprehend it, just, it. None of it felt real. I even look back now and I'm like, doesn't feel like that was me. Mm. I see pictures and videos of me and I'm like, that's not me. Mm. It honestly feels like another person. It's unbelievable, the feeling you get from it. Like the disattachment that you do from that, like from trauma, that you actually feel like you're looking in at someone's life. It's quite a strange feeling. So on like the mental recovery side of it then, kind of coming forward, what did you do to get yourself back into like the state you are now, I suppose? I think like, it was. I suppose it's like what I explained earlier about like sitting in it. I probably sat in it for too long, like, to be honest. But then it gave me a kick, I suppose. Because when I came out of hospital, um, I got offered disability allowance and I remember sitting in my dad's like office that he had in the house on his computer. And I remember online applying for disability allowance and going through the list, like tick, comment, tick, like that. And I was going through it and I suddenly just thought, what are you doing? Like, you're not disabled. You just couldn't walk and now you're a bit rookie and like you're still learning to get your strength back and balance back and that. But you can go and sit in an office. Mm. And my brother's disabled. My brother's got special needs and he can't work. And I just remember sitting there thinking... What are you doing, Ez? And I've probably, I don't think I worked for a good two or three months um, when I could have. And I just sat in. Mm-hmm. I literally sat in my mum's house and did nothing. Which she woke, and I could. I could get up and walk and probably go and get a job. And I just woke up and sat and then went to bed every day for about two to three months. It was just her- horrendous. Like, I was resentful. I couldn't even go on Facebook and look at my friends who were at dance college and be happy for them because I weren't there, but actually hated them. And it was a time in my life that I first felt resentment and I hated it. 
felt poisoned by it. I looked at them and I hated every inch of them. Someone that was my best friend, I just looked at them and I just thought, I can't even look at you. As if they'd like killed someone I love. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And so resentment played a massive part in that time. I suppose depression, like you know, I went to a stage of just, I just didn't see any light, just didn't see the point. I was just so demotivated. I just, yeah, I was just over it. I was so pissed off. I was so pissed off. I was like, why did this happen? And I constantly was looking for an answer. Why, why? There's got to be a reason why. What have I done? What have I, you know, constantly searching for that answer. And then, like I said, the disability thing sort of happened at the end of this, like because I, I could have applied and got back the money from those months. Yeah. Which is so bad. Like, so bad that I nearly did it. And then I was like, enough's enough. And I went and got a job in an office. It's That's such a good thing to do that... Because, it, like, taking the money is almost like the... Easy way out. Yeah, it's Lazy. like the, the, the realisation that you've let it win kind yeah. of thing. And yeah. it's almost saying to you, like, it's the, it's the it's easy labeling. path to take, isn't it? It's I like, am disabled. Yeah, I can, I can now claim that I'm disabled and I can, um, and I can just be paid for mm. that and I don't ever have to do anything yeah. again and just sit in the comfort of How that. How awful. I'm not disabled. Yeah. I just had a really traumatic time, had to learn to walk again and I feel shit about it and I'm resentful and sad. Because, I mean, you couldn't dance at this point. You're you're pretty rickety on your legs. Yeah, so you, so can, was, you can walk, but it's not... Yeah. yeah. So I was like walking, um, I'd get tiredness and things like that, but I was doing sort of like rehabilitation through dance every week on a Sunday, I'd go and do it with my old dance school. But yeah, I went back to like baby's ballet and couldn't even yeah. do the stuff that they were doing in the class and things mm -hmm. like that. That journey was quite a long journey again in dance terms. But in terms of if you just saw me, I was just a normal person who was up on my feet. I just couldn't do what I did before I got yeah. paralysed. It was that I was disabled compared to what I was before. But in terms of disability, I didn't have a disability. I was just pissed off. So that's such a, a brilliant mental mindset that you've got, because I think especially when you're told that you can't walk, there's studies, isn't there, that the people that are told they'll never walk again are much more likely not to walk yeah, again. Than and that the people got said are... to me um, when I left, someone said, if you didn't want to walk, one of the physiotherapists, because I had two physiotherapists and then this new woman came in and she was fucking hard as nails, like, horrible I remember crying to my mum on the phone after my first session with her she walked up to my bed she went get up then and I was like I can't she went get up and I was like okay like so I used my arms like got round got myself she watched me like struggle 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 and then she obviously and then she was like lift your lift your leg like I was sitting in the chair and then I was like all this and I think she just saw it and then she just switched and changed she was so nice and I think that was her way of she's probably done that in the past and maybe yeah. people have thought they can't and yeah. it was a mental game you know and then they've gone oh my god a legend and she so she was horrible and I called my mum and said she was so nasty mum like she pushed me I, I couldn't do anything I was sweating like I remember just trying to like move into the chair and I was she wouldn't help me I was like getting into my chair on my own stuff like that and she was letting me you know slip everything yeah, like that yeah, yeah. and I rang my mum I, I was 18 years old and I was so heartbroken that this person had come in to my space and made me feel even worse than what I felt she knew she'd done it afterwards and I I think she felt awful but anyway I carried on my recovery with her and um she like got me on my feet and whatever and when I left she ended up crying when I left the hospital and she said to me if you hadn't have wanted to walk you wouldn't have yeah. you would have been in you would have gone out in a wheelchair she went it's because you wanted it and I think she tested me 
to see if like maybe it was a mental like thing that like stopped it then realized oh my god this girl can't walk and I've just hurt her so then kind of got this attachment to me in that way but then I suppose just from what she sees every day she just said if you didn't want to and I don't know if that was her way at first to test how much I wanted it mm-hmm. you know get into the chair and if I'd have gone no I'm not I would have maybe fallen into the category of someone she don't want it enough because I tried everything I think that's how she like knew how to rehab me if that makes sense yeah. like what tactic to use yeah. but um yeah and I just remember her saying if you hadn't have wanted to walk again you wouldn't have it's so easy like you said to accept it and then they said eventually your brain would have just forgot like if I laid and laid and laid and laid for a year to it my brain would have just forgot how to yeah, do you it you accept our brains accept our reality don't yeah. they and they just go oh this is how it is and now it just switch well, that bit off because yeah. it's like it's not being used and it just get forgotten and it's like that's but sad to think how many people might take that route and not even yeah. consciously do you think of that woman often? Yeah, I suppose, like, whenever I think of my story in rehab, she's always the person that's there, like, in my head. Yeah, Because yeah. the other two were amazing, but they were so nice. So nice. You almost yeah. need the good cop, bad cop. Maybe, like, but they got, like, left, they got moved over and she came in. But then, again, to give them their due, I was already on my feet by this point, as in on the parallel bar. She stepped in probably for the last bit of it, the last getting me up to step up a step, get yeah. the more, like scarier stuff the other two I think were more just to get me up and using parallel bars and then she took over uh, but it didn't happen any quicker yeah it just she just really upset me <laughs> <laughs> when do you yeah. think you kind of lost resentment for your friends and started to accept that that's fine and yeah. they're doing their thing and I can do my thing I think it took like a good three years I hate to say it like hate it but I do remember feeling it though I remember one day just going I finally feel so at peace that that was Esme's chapter then and this is my chapter now and I'm so happy that I danced then and I'm so happy I don't now. And it felt amazing. Like I felt just so at peace with, that was such a lovely time of my life and I absolutely loved dancing and now I don't and it's so fine. And that felt good and that's when I was able to then start congratulating my friends and watching them on their shows and... Yeah, being nice. <laughs> uh, we we've spoken quite a few times on this show about how I don't like I don't believe in natural talent. I think that if you work at something, you can become good at it. But one thing I do wonder is if there if you're born with natural kind of grit, determination, mental toughness, or whether it is something that you can develop. And I think it's probably something that you can develop. But I would like to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm completely with you on it. Because I know, I know I have grit and I know I have determination and I know that for sure because of situations I've been in and I'm in now and how I react. But one thing I know for sure is I didn't have that. Right. Growing up, I was a baby. Like I was, there was four kids, I was the third one and then my little sister came a long time after. So I was the youngest yeah. for a long time, for seven years. And... I was a baby, I relied on people a lot. I couldn't even go upstairs on my own without someone standing at the bottom of the stairs. If I had to go and grab something from my room, I'd leave the toilet door open, like the bathroom door open, so I was around people. I was scared of the man in the window was my like thing, there's a man in my window, you know, like all of that <laughs> bullshit. I was scared of everything. And um and reliant. Reliant, very, very, very reliant on my mum. Like she needed to get me to dance. I I got there, I got picked up, I got taken home. It wasn't spoiled because my mum would never have raised like that, but I was reliant. I needed it. I needed a companion next to me, my friend, my mum, my this, if I was going to a dance with this, couldn't walk into a room with my head up. I was so shy. I used to go to family events 
And actually, I remember going to family events. They say they're, you know, like cousins, like parties and stuff. So you don't see them a lot. I remember feeling sick all the way there in the car. And I was so scared to walk in. Like, so scared because I just thought, oh, my God, people are going to look at me. Like, can't put my head up. I don't feel comfortable. I need someone with me all the time. And it wasn't until, like, it wasn't just because I got paralysed that that changed me. Because people do say, oh, your life changes in a minute. It doesn't. It's like what I said earlier. It's the cumulative effect of something happening. But now I know I'm not the person I was. So I do think you develop it. And I think you develop it when you have to, when you have no other choice. Mm. The thing is that what we're spoilt with as human beings is we we do get given choice and we get given way outs and we do get given like options and things like that. But when you don't have a choice and you have choice taken away from you and the only thing you can do is turn to you and go, what we can do about this, yeah. that's where you develop it. And the thing is people resist it and people will do anything to not put themselves in a situation where they need to take choice away and then have to work themselves out of it because why would you? Why would you choose, if I went to you right now, right, I can go and put you in pain right now and you can get yourself out of it. Why would you choose to do that when you know you don't have to? And this is the problem. And as societies, you know, developing in all these different ways and social media and things are so available for us. And when you look back 50 years ago, 100 years ago, how they worked then and how they got to communicate then and how they had to work for it. Everything we've got right now is on demand. And the reason people aren't developing these skills to be resilient and have grit and say, I haven't got it in me, I'm just this, I'm just that, and I'm, you know, I can't do it, is because they don't need to anymore. There's no need and no one's willing or prepared, and I get why, to put themselves in a state of pain or discomfort and get themselves out of it. Why would you when you can have it easy? That's why I have a cold shower every day. You do? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I have done for probably about a year and a half now, yeah, I think. a long yeah. time now, yeah. Yeah, um, and and I don't miss a day. I mean, if I do miss a day, then I make sure that I don't miss two mm. days in a row. Um, but it's very, very rare. I have a cold shower. I had one this morning. Um, but yeah, I have a cold shower every single day, and that's the reason why, is because it's everything is easy, and it's the one hard thing that I can think of that I can, that I can do. Like that? Um, yeah. Literally, you can... You can put yourself in a state of discomfort and like, I don't want this in seconds and then get yourself out of it. And your body learning and your brain learning that you are capable of pulling yourself out of something that's uncomfortable, it then makes your body and your brain align with each other and they start working together. And then when things happen, they start working together. Mm -hmm. We've been here before. We've been in a cold shower and we've got ourselves yeah. out of it. We're now at this situation. How do we get ourselves out of it? And they start working as one and working together. The problem is with people is people's brains are working in one thing and their bodies are working in another and they're not aligned. They're doing, their brain's thinking one thing while their body's doing another. And this is where people aren't, don't know themselves and don't know how to get themselves out of things because they're not prepared to. It's really interesting. A lot of people we talk to in this show have been like something bad has happened and then good has come out of it. Mm. And it's crazy that people do need that kind of shake. And I remember there's a really good Steve Jobs talk that he did at a university. And that was because basically like he had cancer and recovered from it and got cancer again. And now he's obviously dead. Uh, but he's kind of says like it's like you've got to make like do it for yourself now don't wait until something bad happens before you change stuff because like if you do it now like good things can come from it and if if, like most of the time if you put yourself in that bad situation like the worst that can come out of it is never that bad and the the chance of something really good can come out of it just from like your personal experience and your growth is like massive 
And it is it is a shame that it takes something horrendous to happen to yeah. someone for them to then get better or be better or do better. And, you know, you hear these typical stories about someone who was, like, really, like, bad person and then something horrendous happened and then they were good or, like, they used to treat people in a bad way and then something happened and now they treat everyone well. Mm. And it it is sad that something has to happen and we have to wait for it to happen because it's going to as well. This is the thing. We're all very aware that something bad's going to happen to us, whether it's, well, some people aren't, whether it's tomorrow in a week, in a month, in a year, two years, whatever. Something horrendous, even to us three sitting here, is going to happen in our future. Mm-hmm. It's just when. And actually for me, life is about knowing if you can know that it's going to happen, what are you doing now though to prepare yourself and give yourself the tools for when it does? And I've not experienced my worst day yet. I've not, I've not. It might seem like it. People look at me and go, oh yeah, but it's all right for you, because you've been paralysed, so you know what it's like to... No, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I know what it's like to be paralysed and walk again 10 years ago, but I don't know many things. I don't know how all this feels and that person feels and what it feels like to lose this or gain that. I don't know everything just because I've been paralysed. But what I do know is something is going to happen to me and how am I going to prepare myself for it? And ways you can prepare yourself for it is like what you said, is put yourself in a position of uncom- being discomfort, like having discomfort, sorry, now before life does it to you. Mm-hmm. So like, I challenge myself so much. I like run marathons. I go, I did the SAS show. I climb Kilimanjaro. I'm going to run um, in the desert in October. People say, why do you do it? Because I can, because I can put myself in a horrible situation, get myself out of it, not wait for life to do it to me. Because that, all that I'm doing is training myself. Mm-hmm. When I do these things, I'm training myself for when I get hit with something that I haven't chose to do. And people wait. They spend every day cruising, nine to go to work, go to work, come home, see my friend, go to bed, to cruise, 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 cruise. Bam, something terrible happens and they don't know where to look. They don't know who's got, who they've got for support, where to go for support and how to get themselves out of it. Mm. Yeah, I don't watch TV, but I did watch a bit of that um, SAS show just to research you. And uh, I enjoyed it actually because normally, because I, I went going into that, I thought, oh, this is going to be another one of those reality TV shows. It's yeah. going to be a bit. It's going to be a bit lame. <laughs> like, I mean, it was yeah. it was intense. It was real. And for you, being the smallest contestant, mm. um, they said that you were one of the mentally mentally strongest people there, mm. um, if not the mentally strongest person <laughs> there. <laughs> What did you learn about yourself? For, because I mean, those situations they put you in were so extreme. Was it was it something? Did you already know about yourself, or did you discover new things about Esme? I think for me, like the biggest turning point um, of what I like learned and what I discovered was right at the end when I got you get so when you finish. You're, I obviously got my number taken away from me and then you have to go and get checked out, like signed out by a doctor and a psychiatrist. You don't just go. And so you have your appointment with the doctor and they do checks, just check you're all okay and like mentally check you're okay. Then you go and see the psychiatrist and they monitor you 24 hours when you're in there and they can pull you out any second if they think there's something like it's detrimental to your mental health, they can pull you out. So they know you probably more than you know yourself because they just watch you mm-hmm. constantly. And I think the biggest thing for me was when I went and saw the doctor Sunday when I went to leave, he said to me, um, he looked at my Bergen, which was too big for me. And he was like, he lo- joked, he saw it in the corner. He went, I didn't even fit you. And he like laughed, went, how did you carry that? And I just sat there and I was like, oh, you know. Because everyone gets the same kit, don't yeah, they? Yeah. And he was like, he laughed and he said, I don't even know how you carried it. Didn't even fit you properly. And I was like, oh, like laughed about it. And then he said to me, I've never met anyone like you. 
And I was like, what do you mean? And he just said, you are one of the most positive people I've ever met. And he said, why is that? And I didn't know what to say. And I sat there and I thought, and I couldn't come up with an answer. He was like, why? And I just thought, because I just am. And that was a moment of realisation for me when I thought, this is a doctor who's, I think he'd, he's been out in like Afghan and he's mm. done it all. He's done all these crazy experiences and he's on series four and he's seen all these people come through and he's, and I'm thinking, and he thinks I'm one of the positive, most positive people he's ever met and asking me why. I'm like, you tell me, <laughs> like, you're the doctor here. And that was the moment that I realised that all this time I thought everyone was like me. I thought this was normal. Yeah. And that was my biggest turning point in life from SAS was I'm not normal. I thought we all fought like me. I thought everybody felt like me. But for a doctor to say, you're not normal, you're different, why is that? It was a moment of actually where it was that like clarification for me that I'm doing good, I'm yeah. doing good, I'm doing well. Mm -hmm. And he made a joke and said, I'm going to try and get you on next year. You can be my assistant and come around and cheer everybody up. Like, in okay. there. And it was like, again, it was that was from the whole experience to walk out and I've had somebody who had monitored me for 25 hours knows me inside out in a doctor way, you know, a medical way. And for them to say, you're one of the most positive people I've ever met and how do you do it? And I would love to employ you to come and make people happy. And I just thought, it just felt good that everything I'd done, I felt like I'd walked out going, I'm a good person. I'm doing good and I'm putting other people before me and I'm making other people happy. Because then when I went on to the psychiatrist, she then said to me, you cheered everybody up in there. And if it wasn't for you, she reckons there would have been a few people that would have left sooner. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that again. Like I've gone from the doctor saying that into her. She was like, again, she said, I've not met anyone like you. She was like, you, I don't know how you do it, but you managed to not only keep your head up high yourself when you were struggling, the smallest, had your burden on, doing things you couldn't do. You then managed to make other people feel good because you all go off and you have private chats with people. And I probably have private chat with all of them one yeah. by one. But people started coming up to me being like, Ez, can I speak to you? And they obviously watch that. And they're yeah. watching me give advice and they're watching going, how are you struggling, not slept, not eating, as well as all of them? Yeah. Bearing in mind, I've, I'm still on the same level as all of them, but you're helping them and making them stay and believe in themselves and carry on. And so, yeah, I think my turning point and what I learned was that I felt just good that I'm doing good. I'm just contributing to people's lives for the goodness of being me. I'm not even trying to do it. And I didn't even realise I was different. And that felt like the best thing about the whole SAS experience, just hearing that. So fucking cool, man. <laughs> what I love about life is that we're all on a journey and we all can and should be evolving. And I really want to get to the stage where people are saying that about me. And I know I'm nowhere near there yet because like positivity is something I've really worked on like focused on working on for the past couple of years and and is something that I like daily I know it's something that I still need to get better at and like working here there's there's people who work here who are super positive like Becky and Sophie like yeah, in yeah. particular that it that is a constant reminder for me to to be like okay mm. be more positive like look at the positive outcomes of life and and really try and it's like seeing people like you is really inspiring to know that like, yeah, I used to be like grumble and like be miserable about everything. And now, and now I'm not, and I've got so much further to go, but I've come so far and it's just, yeah, it's, mm. that's the great thing about life is that we can all grow and evolve and become who we want to be. Yeah. Which is amazing. And that, and that is, do you know what the best thing is the best, I think the best place you can reach is that you make people feel good and people want to be around you because you're just you. 
Mm-hmm. Like that is probably for me that that's the end goal. Like that is the feeling of people wanting to be good in front of your presence. People, you walking into a room and people choosing and wanting to be a good person because your presence is in the room. That for me is the goal. Like that's when you, I think you've nailed life. And the best part about it is because you're just being you. You're just being good and you're just doing everything out of love. You're making every conscious choice you make out of love, not ego, not fit love. And by just doing that, it makes people want to be a better person. It makes people want to get out of bed in the morning. It makes people want to go challenge themselves in ways they never thought they could. It makes people just want to be and just be present. And I think for me, like that is my goal every day is just do good, make choices out of love and just be me so that people want to show up for me and be better for me. Not to impress me, be better for themselves and in themselves just by being in my company. When you um, were working in the office, like your first job, like what made you get into fitness after that? So I think like movement was always going to like play a massive part in my life because obviously dancing and fitness was obviously a huge part of dance. Um, so I actually, when I was in the office job, I took my level two qualification. I started it online, which is like your fitness qualification. And I did all the online stuff while I was working. Then as soon as I could take the physical exam, um, when I'd finished all the online stuff, I literally went and took it and quit my job. So like I knew that I was going to go into fitness. And then from there, I then went into my level three personal training. It just evolved from that. But I think I've obviously got a passion for movement, passion for fitness, passion for sport, because dancing... I think a passion for people as well. Yeah, and I think what it was, was my passion was fitness, but, well, no, I wouldn't say that, actually. I'd say my passion was people, like you said, and helping people, but the fitness was a tool to do it because Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So it's like, if I really enjoyed baking... My passion is still helping people, making people feel good and feel strong and feel like they can do anything, but I would use baking as a tool to do that. Does that make sense? So fitness for me was always a tool. It wasn't, fitness for me wasn't the thing. It wasn't like, I'm teaching fitness because I want to make people get six packs. Never. It was, I want people to feel like they can do anything. I want people to feel strong. I want people to feel motivated. I want people to go out there going, I can do anything. I'm amazing. And I'm going to use fitness as a way of doing it because I like it and I'm interested in it. So I think that's how they sort of married together. I think that's really nice it's like a perfect way to start anything it's like going there with the purpose of the reason why you're doing it yeah and then find something that's a thing that you can do to do that because it's like if at some point say you broke your legs like so or you stopped you couldn't walk again it's like you could still carry that purpose and why you're doing it onto something else you yeah. could then get into baking you could yeah. become be on bake-off next year who yeah. knows <laughs> shall i do it oh god i can't bake but like i think there's um both ways as well you've got people who've got a passion for like say helping people but are using the wrong thing to do it so they might be using fitness to do it but they actually hate working out mm-hmm. like it, this is in my industry only or you've got people who love working out love fitness love like looking good but don't care about people and that's probably one of the biggest problems in my industry and in my profession is people doing it for the wrong reasons and it's damaging Mm-hmm. It really is so damaging putting the wrong person in my job, especially because of body image and health and things like that. It's quite scary that the wrong person could walk in with the wrong motive. Mm-hmm. So I think, like you said, first find your passion and your reason, then find what you like to use as a tool. That's the order you should do it in. Don't go, I really like fitness and looking good, but I hate people, but I'm yeah. going to be a PT. <laughs> like, I don't care about people, I actually hate them, but I'm going to PT people eight hours a day like, and surround myself with people. So I think like that's the order it should be. Passion and then how you're going to do it. 
Definitely. When you had the meeting with the doctor and and basically had an epiphany about your your life, is that when you sort of coming off of the show? Is that when you sort of realised that you were going to scale this and help like help more people and doing like as you do a lot of like motivational talks and mm. stuff like that? Is that when it really started to kick off for you? I think like I've always had like this illness in me, like um, and I had this for SAS where I just want to help people, like and not necessarily not help people for the sake of helping people because I think that's different. I think people who want to help people because they want a pat on the back or they want like the a tick a ticked box or they almost want like the reward of it like I help that person. That's not what I mean by that. Like helping people I mean I want people I want to give people the tools to help themselves do anything. I don't want to just be like, you know, I don't want to go in and change people's, change people's lives and be like, I help them get out of bed or I help them. No, no, no. I want to teach people the tools to do it. And I think, yeah, SAS for sure coming out, I went through, you know, depths of, you know, anticipation, anxiety in there. I went through so many different sort of things, challenging myself, doing things, feeling small, feeling physically un- incapable, going through all of that then made me come out and going, I don't want anyone to ever feel some of the things I felt in there. And they're not going to feel them because, like I said earlier, no one's prepared to put themselves in that state to understand. Mm -hmm. So I want to share how I got through that experience and what tools I used so people can start helping themselves. So, yeah, for me, like coming out of SAS and experiencing that epiphany with like the doctor saying, like, you just make people feel good. I want to carry on doing it. But my biggest thing is I don't want to take all the responsibility off anyone and do it for them yeah. it's like here are the tools here's how I did it you might even give me some ideas back oh I tried this oh cool I tried that I'm only telling people what's helped me and what I've done give it a try I don't mm-hmm. even think I know everything but I can't bear the four people not having some of the tools that I've got I just want to share them to the world I want the whole world to have like my little toolbox so your toolbox then is not necessarily about like move your legs in this direction do this squat do this jump it's more about this is how you deal with it mentally and yeah, how, you, the why. how you keep going. Yeah. The why, like why, why am I running? Why am I working out? Why am I squatting? Why am I lifting this weight? Like for me, fitness has always been about the, the mental side effects of it. It's about like, like I said earlier, I don't care about six packs, dress sizes, body image. I don't care. That's science. If you eat well and exercise generally, cause some people have medical problems, but generally if you eat well and exercise, you're going to lose weight. Yeah. How can I take responsibility for that and be like, yeah, I gave you a six pack. No, I didn't. <laughs> Science <laughs> gave you the six pack. I just gave you the tools. And um, I think a lot of PTs do take responsibility for that. They do post before and after images of their clients going, look what I did yeah. for this person. No, you didn't. They did it, but you t- told them how to. And you actually should be telling them that they did it. You shouldn't be yeah, saying, yeah, I yeah, did yeah. that for you. You should be saying, you did that. When clients thank me, thank you so much for, you know, getting me into my wedding dress. No, you got into it. I just made you, you know, have the courage to get up every day and go and try new things. But yeah, so going back to, um, you know, what I want people to do in in their fitness when they're squatting, when they're this, the wires, it's if you can get yourself out. So if you're in a plank, for example, something as simple as a plank, you're holding a plank and you can put your knees down whenever you want. Just by putting yourself into that situation, you can drop your knees whenever you want. It's just down to whether you do it or not. How much you can learn about yourself in a plank says a lot about how you're going to react in the outside world and actually how much I can tell about a person's personality in a fitness class training a client they drop their knees after 10 seconds but you're giving up in 10 seconds at your job when your boss tells you you're doing rubbish you're like I'm done it's the same thing it's just using fitness to disguise it it all fitness is is 
what's going on in here and who you are and how you cope under pressure. That's all fitness is. And that's why we're so fortunate, like you said about the cold shower thing, we have the choice to put ourselves in a really painful position, like run a marathon or run a 5K or um, cycle or swim or do a squat or plank. We can put ourselves in that and then take ourselves out at the click of our fingers. I could get in a plank now, and when I'm done, I could just stop. And the beauty behind that of how we are in, it makes you realise how much control you have. And once you start realising how much control you have, you start realising how much choice you have. And once you realise how much choice you have, you start taking different routes and taking different choices and trying new things. Just from a fitness class, just from a plank, you start learning all these things about yourself and suddenly the outside of the gym world starts reflecting the inside of the gym world. And that's what I think they run parallel. It's the mind and body thing again. How you act in your workout is how you're going to act in the outside world. That's what I believe. So that's what I try and teach people through fitness. One thing that changed the way I used the gym was when I heard that you're capable of 50% more than you think you are. So as soon as you start to feel like exhausted on a particular exercise and you want to quit because like this is hard, you're probably capable of doing 50% more. Um, So if you're doing 10 chin-ups, you could probably do another five, even though your arms are telling you, you have got to stop. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, it comes down to our brain because our brain is sending the message. It is getting the messages from the arms of like, this is really hard. And we're programmed to go towards comfort as humans. That's Mm. what we're programmed to do. So it's just these warning signals. And if you ignore the warning signals, then you'll actually get much more out of your, out of your exercise. Yeah. And it is, it is true. Like you do have so much more because it's like we said, if you had to, you would, it's because you don't have to. Again, it's because we're spoiled. We're spoiled. Like you, you know, you've done 10 pull-ups, do five more. I don't have to. (laughs) So I won't. But what if I said, do five more and I give you a million pound. You do five more. And that's the biggest thing about it. One of the things I try and teach um, in fitness is, again, if you took a plank or a squat hold, just because they're generic exercises that people can understand, is if it's the power of language, it's internal language is so powerful, external and internal. And I've done exercises with people, wellness speeches that I've done. So I've got the whole room to stand up from their chairs. And I say, take a seat, but just before you get to your chair, hover above it. And then I say, sit down when you want. Like there's no catches, there's no twit, like literally there's no prizes. When you want, just sit down. And about 12 to 17 seconds in, the whole room sat down, 200 people sat down, right? So I say, right, stand up again. You're going to do the same thing. You're going to sit down and you're going to go do an inch above your chair, all right? And then you're going to listen to me. And what I need you to do is I need you to take something very important in your life, something very, very special to you. It can be a person or a thing, and I want you to put that on your back. You sit down, you drop them. You drop that thing. And if you don't like anyone enough, then you can choose a goal. That goal that you really want, that you wake up every day moaning that you don't have, that's available for you at the end of this squat hold. If you really want, you sit down, it's gone. It's gone forever. And they and I make them go to a minute and then, I, and then they stop at a minute. They could go on forever at this point. And that is all about language. It, or I say to them and I make them realise, the only thing that changed was my language. I didn't change the exercise. I didn't make you all stronger suddenly. I didn't give you a protein drink that made you like Popeye. All I did was change my language. And if I can do that externally to you, think how capable you are internally. That next time you're in a squat hold and you go, I'm going to give up. No, no, no. That very special person, that thing I want is sitting on my shoulders. If I drop it, then I drop them. And you stay in it. Five extra pull-ups. If I do five extra pull-ups, then it's going to X, Y, Z. That goal I want, that thing. That's why I always tell people, the goals you want put into your workouts. So when you're sprinting, 
if you like for example if you sprint on a treadmill and you can pull the magnet off or you know you can emergency stop it and just or straddle your legs across and finish the sprint and you've got five seconds left but if you say if I carry on going five more seconds I'm going to get my goal that I want you will run for five more seconds all you've done is change your language and it is all a mindset and that's why it's making people understand that believe it and use it and not enough people know that that is the most simplest thing that I've just said in you know a couple of minutes I've said try this squat thing and I changed 200 people's mindsets in that moment like imagine if more people knew this and that's again that is my goal it's about sharing this is another one of my tools in my toolbox that I try and get people to do because I'm not making you hold that squat I'm not doing anything it was all you it was your brain and your mindset and you're capable of using it do you bring that across into your business into growing your empire yeah I think like for me it is quite a hard everyone's got a hard like world that they're in I suppose of like work like everyone's business world is like difficult and has like you know positives and negatives for me my world I find my challenges that I find really hard are getting my message out because there are a lot of people who are doing what I'm doing but not necessarily for the right reason like I said earlier so one of the like um, things I've faced in business um over the past sort of four or five years being in London uh, was this new influencer sort of thing that came in. And about four years ago, I remember the term influencer coming in. And I remember, and there, I'm not saying anyone's good or bad in this. This is my, from my side, what it happened to me. And there were people who were doing, started doing my job, but because it looked good, mm-hmm. because they loved fitness and they loved working out, but, and they looked really good. And their following grew massively on Instagram and they had all these followers. And because they had all these followers, they were therefore an influencer. And because they were an influencer, they were therefore listened to. And because they were listened to, they were therefore given more. And it was quite challenging for me because my business has grown very, very, very slowly. And naturally and organically, I've never followed, unfollowed, liked, or like for share, whatever the words are, hashtag like for like. And bought followers and all of that. And I've stayed very true to myself. And it was boring probably. It was boring because I was talking about wellness and the mental side effects and, you know, do fitness for this. And everyone's going, no, I want to do fitness because I want a six pack and wear a sports bra and this and look fit while I work out. And so I didn't really fit into that category. And it's actually taken me a long time to grow my audience. So, yeah, when I come to like using like that sort of those tools in business, yeah, I do. But it's taken long. And I've had to be so resilient to it. And I've had to not compare myself to other people. And I've had to not fall into the trap. As you do realise, if you just bought 20,000 followers, you could go and get that job that they're getting. And I've had to sit and go, no, because you didn't get it properly. You know, and let them get it. And then their message go out and let them have their time because my time will come another day. And now I'm really happy, actually, because I feel like... My industry is turning more into wellness now and, you know, like mental health is becoming massive in my industry now. Wellness, mental health. And I think now maybe is my time and now this is what I've been waiting for. And five years ago, my message didn't maybe work. It worked for some people, but people want to hear it more now. And that's why I've... I think everything happens for a reason and I do think, yeah, five years later, but this is now where I'm at. I feel like I'm at the beginning now. I'm starting my career because now I want to get my message out to a wider audience and that's my goal yes and it's putting out an audience that actually cares and wants to listen yeah. whereas if you put that out five years ago people would have been like I don't care but that would have been your chance to say it yeah. whereas now people are actually willing to listen because they want to hear about that yeah it's almost like because you've waited you've given yourself that perfect opportunity to do it yeah. at the best time and rather than real, trying to like, take a shortcut yeah it's 
five years of like thickness you know it's 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 layers and layers and layers of work that I've put in and like things I've come up with and tools that I've used and people that I've come into contact with and brands that I've worked with because I genuinely believe in them and mm-hmm. it's thickened my message I think and there were people that caught on five years ago and heard what I had to say and there was you know oh my god like that's a really good point but they weren't ready yet. People still weren't ready five years ago to go, yeah, but I can't do that. I'm not mentally as tough as her. I'm not. And now people are starting to realise we're all mentally tough. We're all going through things every single day. It's our own adversity. It's our own pain. It's our own problem. But And we can all do the same thing to get better. You don't have to have gone through something that someone else has gone through exactly the same to be you know, stronger or better or them. You can go through, you can break your finger and someone can break an arm. You're still facing adversity, your own mm. adversity. You still both need to get out of it. You can still both use the same tools that I'm giving to yeah. get out of it. Yeah, I, I really feel for people who, um, and I always try and help them when they they feel bad for feeling bad. They mm. feel guilty, like, oh, but you went through this and I've only got this tiny thing and that's, yeah. a, that's irrelevant. It's like, no, you're entitled to feel bad about that. Like, whatever it is that upsets you, if it upsets you, that's not a minor thing. It upsets you. It's your you. personal It's pain. your thing, yeah. Yeah, I've struggled with that a lot recently as well because I... I feel that in my life I am surrounded by a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of pain and I don't know if I naturally bring that into my life because, you know, of my job or what I do or people feel comfortable to tell me things or, you know, whatever it is. But I do feel like that sort of feeling where you think, oh, I can't I can't complain because they're going through that. But that's one thing that I make sure I don't do. If I hear myself saying it, I'm like, no, no, no. No, I feel shit today. Like, yeah, I'm your struggle is valid. This yeah. is hurting yeah. me. Like, I know you're going through this, but in my world and in my pain threshold, this is an eight for me. Like, this, you know, this hurts me. And it is right. You're so right about that. It's um, it's that concept of like, what about me that I'm really strong on at the moment is we tend to really focus on the people who have faced adversity and come out the other side and have been in pain. What about the people that were supporting them? And watching them go through all of that, the people, the happy people. Yeah. What about the people that have got their lives in in check and they're happy and they're positive and everything's fine and they're the support network for the person who's gone through their adversity, but they're all right. But it's, they're not. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Because no one sends a text to to the guy, like the guy or girl in the gang who always makes sure that everyone else is okay, yeah. and they're because because they're all the one that always looks after everyone else. You always assume that they're yeah. doing fine. And then when they. <laughs> have something go wrong, you're like, oh, could you joking? Like, you're happy. You're positive. You're this. You're, your life's fine. You know, your dog's died. Get over it. But if they're, do you know what I mean? And, and, but if theirs had, it'd be the worst thing because my dog died, but don't forget my grandma died as well. You've only got a dog died. I've got a grandma and a dog. Yeah. And it's when people, <laughs> but people do, it's, it's madness how people compare pain and it starts, beca- it comes a thing like, yeah, but I'm in more pain than you. Yeah, but I can't do that because I've lost three people and you've lost two. Yeah, I can't do that because I've had two breakups. You've only had one. Yeah, I can't. And and again, we're humans because we do anything we can to avoid pain. So we say, I can't do that because of what I've gone through, because of what's happened. And you can because you've not had anything bad happen to you. Mm. And it's, yeah, people don't realise that everyone has their own personal pain. And it hurts. Just because, like, the thought... If you went to bed, break my finger, I'd be like, whatever. Like, in my head. <laughs> because to me, me breaking my finger now, it literally wouldn't phase me. I'd break it and then crack on. But to someone else who'd never broken anything, or, or for some reason that finger is massive to them, the pain they're feeling is the equivalent of the pain I probably got if I broke my arm. And that's where people need to start realising. There's no such thing as, like, I'm in more pain or I'm in more adversity or I'm in... It's how you cope with it. It's your personal pain. 
so yeah, but back onto your um, onto the the business side because um, I we uh, the conversation kind of moved on, but um, I I just wanted to say like I think you have done exactly the right thing. Like although it's slower, the the influencers and the booty shots and all of that, it's like it's so throwaway and it will just get washed away eventually. Like if you're if you're wanting to do something for the next like 10, 15, 20 years, then it has to be based on passion. Mm. It has to be based on like a pure, authentic message. If you are if you are trying to help people, then that has to come from a really pure place. And it will take it will take so much longer. But the people that are following you are engaged with you and they're there for what you deliver to them and they're there for a reason they're not just there to look at bums mm. so and, and i think that's that that will last so much longer so yeah. i think you've 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 done exactly the right thing even though at the time especially when you see like the comparison culture when you see yeah. other people who it's like we've spoken about this before but where we've had competitors buy followers and seen opportunities open to them and then the temptation is then like we could just buy just followers buy and just Literally. do it. Yeah. I remember I got um, put forward for a job once and I remember asking what the fee was and they said, I had 10,000 followers at the time and they said, if you, so based on 100,000 followers, the fee is 20K. But because you've got 10,000 followers, we're going to, uh, how much did they say they're going to give me? Probably two grand. I think they literally did it in like yeah. percentages. They're like, so we can offer you two grand. And I thought to myself, right, <laughs> I need 90,000 followers to make 20K and 90,000 followers. How much does that even cost? I don't even know. But Yeah, less than 20K. So I could essentially, you're telling me, buy 90,000 followers and then make 20K doing the same job, delivering the same message. Mm. And because I've got 10,000, and honestly, that, that was a day, and I turned down a job anyway, I was like, I don't want it, like, anyway. But that was a moment where I thought, oh, my God, is this where we're at? And again, I was so resilient to it where I just went, don't even matter. Put your head down and keep doing what you're doing because if you'd have bought those followers and did that job, you'd never forgiven yourself. Yeah. You wouldn't have and you wouldn't have been true. And this is like, I suppose, a message to anyone who's in any job and it doesn't have to be the same job as me, any job where they feel like if I did this, I could be that, don't do it. Because if, if you're doing it out of ego and making that decision out of ego and not love, you will never feel satisfied if you do get if you do get that promotion or you do get that other job somewhere else or you do get that job from that client that you're competing against someone else for. If you do it for the wrong reason, it will never feel right. I would rather not have those jobs and then the right one come along years later and it feels so right. Mm -hmm. And I think you can translate that into any job because I know listeners could be in any sort of job field and we all still get the same fit. Like you've just said you had the same thing as me. We're in completely different jobs. And it is that it's one of my biggest things is never compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 13, yeah. because this, these people who were influencing at the time, five years ago, I don't know their background though. Like they might've spent 10 years to even get to influencer status. Do you know what I mean? I assumed I'm going, Oh my God, they're taking all my work and I don't know their story. And the best thing to do is just believe that mm -hmm. they could have hoped that as well. They might've worked really hard to get to that. They're just five years ahead of you. It was, but then it's when you're looking at the people that you know are buying them and you know are getting the jobs that you deserve, you have to just be so thick-skinned and don't take it personally because that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. How do you do that, though? I just, again, it's that, don't, it's comparison, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's, do you know what? Do you know what it is? Mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've learned recently, recently, I even put an Instagram post about it the other day, it was like, 
Um, how to win at life. Step one, let people do what makes them happy. Mind your own business and do what you want to do to make you happy. And I like post it. I thought that is so like true. And I post it and people were just like, oh my God. Like and people were like saying to me, I saw him. I couldn't believe when you wrote that, like how simple but true it was. If you actually just mind your own business, you're actually well all right. Your life is sweet. Yeah. It's only the minute that we start going, what are they thinking? What are they doing? Are they doing that to do this? Are they doing this? Did they only go there because they want me to feel... The minute you start doing that, you've got the unhappiest life. It's like, stay in your head, you're dead. Like, get out of your <laughs> head. Let let them do what they're doing. And generally, 99% of the time, it's nothing to do with you. They're not doing it to make a point. You know, we think we're so important, don't we? We're like, oh, they're only doing that because they want me to see it and feel this. Or they're doing that because they're trying to make uh, me feel this. And you think, actually, I don't think they even thought of you. You'd like to think yeah. they did, but they don't. So yeah, just think about themselves. Yeah, and I think in simplest terms, and it sounds so simple and so like what? Just mind your own business, and that's how you stop getting hurt and stop comparing yourself to people, and stop feeling resentful of people that are getting things that you be- believe you should have. Mind your business then, and go and get it in your world. Don't worry about them doing it in their world. Go and get it in your world. Okay. <laughs> so simple though, isn't it? Just mind your business. My mum always told me mind my business. How did you transition from fitness into presenting? Um, that was really strange how that happened because I never saw myself presenting or doing that. I always did fitness. And what happened was from I was doing group exercise full time and I started getting just little things outside of my like job and they'd be like my fun jobs, you know, like that I'd call them like, oh my little fun job, I'm a little hobby. And it could have it started off maybe teaching at an Adidas event and then suddenly someone said, Oh, can you come on our panel and speak about your career or speak and things started building up and then the presenting thing actually came from Lab Bible. They've got an account called Pretty Fifty Two, which is for women. And someone reached out to me and just said I came to your fitness class and I really love what you were saying in it. Could you do the same thing, but on an Instagram story, self-interviewing? And I actually didn't realise that presenting on social media or Instagram was a thing. Mm. I just, like, I was just completely naive to it. So I was like, yes, they told me what to do. They said, they aren't ask these questions to yourself. So on Instagram story. So it was like, you know, what motivates you? And I'd be like, oh, the things that motivate me are this, this, this. So that went up and then Lab Bible saw it and then... They then asked me to go and do a sport Bible job. They've got another account called Sport Bible. And I went and interviewed the body coach at an event at Chelsea Football Club called Hit on the Pitch. And I'm like standing there going, what? I'm interviewing the body coach. Like, Joe, what? what? Like a thousand people come in. I'm on Lab Bible's social media Instagram account. Logged in. What? Like, and it was just so random. And then, so then that happened. I was like, quite like it. I'm actually just being me, hanging out with people, chatting and entertaining and getting people's message out. And then I did the London Marathon, ran it. And just naturally on my stories, I sort of covered the day because I didn't do it for time. I weren't bothered. I'm not an athlete. Why does it matter what time I do? She wanted to run a marathon. So I covered it through the day. I was like doing updates while I was running around. I even did like a selfie of me on a toilet, like a portaloo, like toilet. <laughs> I was up and I was just at in London Marathon, hashtag whatever, like loving my life. A year later... I got a message from the London Marathon Instagram account saying, hi, Esme, we saw your stories last year um, around the marathon. We absolutely loved them. We're looking for someone to present it on social media this year, the first time we've done it. So you obviously do it on BBC. Would you do it? And I thought, I'm getting pranked. You know what you think? Yeah, yeah. The London Marathon have Instagram messaged me, asked me to present. I thought, no, nah, this is... Because I did toilet selfies. Yeah, <laughs> I thought this can't be right. Anyway, I spoke to the guy and it was right. Like, and then I ended up covering that for five days leading up to it. I interviewed all the athletes that were doing it. I was at the Excel Centre. I was going live on Facebook. A little camera crew. I had an earpiece in where they talked to you in your ear. I'm going, what is going <laughs> on? I'm just a fitness instructor and now I'm presenting the marathon. And I'm like, 
on the day, like Gabby Logan's on BBC and I'm live on Facebook next to her. I'm like, this is cool. But um, yeah, so that literally just happened, like sort of, I suppose, falling into it. But again... But you fell into it, but we always talk about planting flags, like... You're, a year earlier you were planting flags those flags Without got seen knowing. yeah and this is the moral of this is again I was just being me I was just being me I was doing what I wanted to do and what felt right and as a consequence of that someone wanted to work with me I didn't say you know you know the person who owns the marathon can you put me in contact fair yeah. enough doing all of that put yeah. in contact and lie to him say I really love running even though I don't love running but I really want to present I've never presented <laughs> before but tell him that I've been presenting for two years and uh, like you get and I just thought I was so pure and real and true to myself that I didn't even think that day if I do this on Instagram stories I'm going to get a job with the marathon next year because they're going to start presenting online yeah. and they're going to ask me it happened because I was just doing what I loved and it was passionate and it was true to myself and I suppose the moral of that is if you are if every decision I always say if every decision you are making is made out of love and in whatever position you're in it will only be the right decision only like I've had talks with people before like my friend who like manages people and was like oh I just can't get this person to do this and I want to make them do it and like they won't do it for me and I'm saying if you're, if you're doing it out of love, they're going to want to do it for you. If you're doing it out of ego, be scared of me, be in fear of me, I'm your manager, do this because I want you to. They ain't going to do it. And I just think that corresponds to everything in life. If every decision you make, every text you send, you sh- that stupid bastard, like, you know, and every um, time you go to open your mouth to your boss or every time that you go to make a comment to a stranger or every time you go to tell a child off or if every time before you do it you go I'm doing this out of love for me and for the person in front of me then you will never be wrong you'll never be in the wrong that's what I think anyway <laughs> I think you're right this has been mad inspiring I think it's one of my favorite episodes we've ever oh, done thank it's you. amazing and um, where can people find you online um so generally just on Instagram so it's esme underscore ldn esme of two e's mad <laughs> it's beyond the at LDN yeah I've, I've dropped the, my surname because I'm trying to be like Beyonce <laughs> <laughs> nice. I want to be known just as Esme and Prince <laughs> yeah Prince who else all the other greats I just want it, you know like that's goals Rihanna. isn't it yeah Esme share oh, in my drop we're out yeah Bro. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya. See ya.